Any moms out there relate to that? I'd like for all the moms to stand up. Moms, will you stand up, let us see, and now let's give it up for all the moms. Thank you, ladies. We love you, and uh, if it were not for you, we would not be here. Amen. If you were here, if you are here and you were hatched and not born of woman, I'd like to meet you after the service. Um, we welcome all of our guests, all of our visitors. We're so glad you're here today. And uh, don't forget, as Pastor Andy said, to take your Connect card that was on the side of your worship program right out to the VIP tent. Pick up your gift uh, before you leave uh, today. But we're just really happy to have you. Let me mention a couple things. Mothers, we have a gift for you today before you leave. All moms, we have chocolate for you before you leave today. And the lady said, "Woo!" Now, girls, to get that chocolate, you need to exit through the overflow because that's where we're going to be distributing the chocolate. Now, I want to warn all the men and children, <laughs> do not get between your mother and that chocolate. Or you will get hurt, all right? And we don't want anybody to get hurt today. So make sure you exit through the, through the two doors back here uh, to get your special Mother's Day gift. We've got a bake sale going on in the foyer for our Women's Deepening Weekend. Uh, the ladies are going to be going away for a time of uh, spiritual growth and, uh, and fellowship. And uh, the men uh, went away for a, a, a wonderful trip uh, at Top Gun. And this is sort of the ladies' Top Gun. And, and ladies, you can still get in on this uh, Women's Deepening Weekend. It's not too late to do that. Uh, Sherry Jennings, uh, Pastor Scott Jennings' wife, Sherry, is kind of overseeing the coordination of this event, so just see her. You can pick up information at the Connect Centers as you're leaving today if you'd like to check it out. How many of you have ever been to one of our evenings of worship and praise where we just have a time together of prayer? We're going to do that tomorrow night. Tomorrow night at 6.30, and you can come and go as you please. Now, some people come at 6.30, stay the whole time. That's wonderful. We love that but your schedule might not allow you to do that. So we would encourage you to just bring your family, bring the children, and come in and just spend some time uh, seeking the Lord, praying with your family, worshiping the Lord together. The praise band will be here. Uh, scripture will be read. No sermons. Don't be happy about that uh, tomorrow night, and it'll be a wonderful, wonderful time. Begins at 6.30 again. Come and go as it's convenient for you. Um, we are just uh, delighted that you're here. God's been with us this whole weekend. We've had a great weekend, and today we begin a brand new sermon series called Parenthood, and in this first sermon, we're going to talk to the ladies about how to be a godly mother. So let's turn to the Old Testament book of 1 Samuel. If you get your Bibles ready, we're not going to read from there right yet, but just go ahead and get your Bible ready, and let's turn to 1 Samuel. And we're going to see the profile of a godly mother in a woman named Hannah. Hannah. Now, I believe that most of us here today are deeply concerned about what's happening to the American family. I believe most of us here today are deeply concerned not only about what's going on in the American home and what's happening to the American family, but even as we look around the world, we see a disintegration of uh, the family. 
it should uh, shock us to know that in America today, less than 7% of people live in a traditional uh, home, a traditional family setting where the father's the breadwinner, the mother's the uh, homemaker, um, and, and of course, uh, it's a different day, it's a different time, uh, but I want to talk to you today about how, if we're not very careful moving away from that model, how we're going to bring uh, uh, further damage to our family. The White House Conference, just to tell you how th times are changing, the White House Conference on the Family had to change its name to the White House Conference on the Families because our government didn't want anybody to assume that they thought that there was only one kind of family with a male father and a female mother, so they changed it to the White House Conference on the Families. Dr. Basil Jackson is a psychiatrist. I'm not sure whether Dr. Jackson is a believer, a follower of Jesus or not. He's from Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and this is what he said. A psychiatrist said, a child will never come to full psychological development and maturation in adulthood unless that child has had a mother in the home. Now, that's a pretty strong statement to be made by a psychiatrist. Um, now, we know as followers of Jesus, and we know as Christians, that if there is a home where a mother is missing or a home where a father is missing, that our God that we serve, the God of the Bible, can fill any gap in a home and cause children to grow up uh, fully developed and mature uh, in him. But from a more secular viewpoint, I thought it was interesting that from a more secular viewpoint, even the secular uh, leaders of our community value motherhood. But we know, we're aware that in many cases the home is falling apart. Uh, there are many reasons for that. I was reading an article recently about m wedding vows and how wedding vows are changing. The article said in many wedding ceremonies, the words, so long as we both shall live, are being changed by the couple getting married to, so long as we both shall love. Uh, many couples believe that to uh, think that they could stay together so long as they live is really unrealistic. And so the latter statement is more realistic. An Episcopalian minister from Akron, Ohio, in this same article said that many young adults today are not willing to make the commitment of until death do we part. They're not thinking about their silver anniversary at all when they get married. They're not thinking about a golden anniversary. What they want to be doing right now is more important to them than what's going to happen 25 or 50 years down the road. People are going into marriage believing that they're probably, more than likely, going to want to get out of that marriage. Along with that, many parents have shirked their responsibility in the home. A newspaper article in New York, the Rochester Times Union, had this article. Mothers and some fathers who have jobs or inflexible commitments outside the home have faced a quandary, almost in a panic about what to do when their children are sick. 
inflation has parents talking about survival. And they maintain that their children will just have to understand that their jobs come first, even when the child is ill. It's a real problem, one mother admitted. My job is important to me, and the family's gotten used to the extra income. My husband has a very high power and high pressure job, and I can't expect him to take off, uh, but neither can I take off from work. I'm competing with people who don't have children. So they don't have the same responsibilities that I have, and I hate to say it, but more often than not, I send the kids off to school even when they're sick. The number of sick children in school has created anxiety for many. It's created anxiety for the school as the school has sent home notes and letters and sent out emails to parents saying, if your child is sick, please keep them at home. So the schools are anxious about this, but the mother also gets anxious at work if their child is ill at school or if their child is at home alone. They feel anxious when they stay home with their child because then they're worried about their job. So if they take their sick days for the benefit of their sick children, then when they are sick, they have no sick days left for themselves. From the child's perspective, the choice is no better. Either he drags through the day at school sick or he faces hours of loneliness at home. They suggested that there would be a babysitting bank, maybe managed by an agency or a charity or a church. The suggestion was that it would consist of men and women available for sitting with children such, in such an emergency, much like substitute teachers. Surveys reveal today that apparently more and more parents are leaving their sick children home unattended. One person said, I personally know of eight, nine, and ten-year-olds, some even as young as seven, who are left at home uh, from early morning until 3.30 or 4 p.m. when a babysitter arrives or an older brother or sister gets home from school. So most of the day, these sick children are quite literally left to nurse themselves uh, back to health, and they're all alone in doing that. A recent divorcee said with a shrug, you probably think it's terrible, but I have no choice except to leave my son home by himself because I can't get any help. I stayed home a couple of days, and people at work were quite understanding. She says, but now I sense my boss's impatience, and I just can't jeopardize my job. The mothers today who are going through this are not happy about these arrangements. And they talk about how fearful they are for their children. I read in USA Today that um, some people are considering putting together something called rent a granny or rent a nanny or rent a parent or whatever you want to call it. And uh, a mother, uh, when she's sick, she can call a central number and uh, describe her problem, and for a fee, the agency will send out a rent, a granny. These stories, these illustrations, these articles point out to us that we are facing an incredible time in our society when children are moving quickly down our priority list. One writer said, No nation is ever greater than its mother's for they are the makers of men. 
The rabbis used to teach, the Jewish rabbis used to teach, and it's not theologically correct, but I get where they're coming from. They said, God can't be everywhere at the same time, so he made mothers. Our society exalts motherhood. So if you are here today and you're saying, you know, I just came to church because, you know, mom wanted me to come. Um, the family's here, so I wanted to come. I'm really not into the whole God, Jesus, Bible, church thing, but I'm just here today. Well, I want you to know that the secular society we live in exalts motherhood. The Bible exalts motherhood. Our church here exalts motherhood. So it really bothers me when I hear people picking on young couples for having a lot of kids and even encouraging them not to have children. And people say, well, you know, Pastor, I can understand that because of this world we live in. It's just so terrible to bring up a child in the world that we live in. But you see, the Lord told us to go forth and multiply. And uh, pastors who like to see their church grow, we're really all for that. Amen? And we're having some babies born around this place, aren't we? Honestly. Man, it used to be like once a month, you know? And it's now I see announcements almost every week. And uh, I want to say to you young couples, keep having them babies. Pastor loves them, and I don't have any grandchildren yet, so I adopt them all and smooch on them. It freaks them out a little bit, but I, uh, I'm still going to smooch on them anyway. Uh, just freaks out Miss Millie too, but whatever. Um, so, so let's don't discourage young couples from having children. The Bible says that children are a gift from God. They're a heritage from the Lord. And so the Bible hasn't changed and God hasn't changed. And you're going to see in this Bible story that we're going to look at today that really times haven't changed that much. You know, people talk about it's the worst it's ever been. It's never been this bad before. Well, we're going to look at a story today in the Bible that's going to make you rethink that. Yes, times are difficult. Yes, evil seems to be abounding. But God is the same. God has not changed. He is all-powerful. And so it is a great calling. It is a high calling. It is a holy calling from God to be a mother, to be a father. The Bible exalts mothers like Sarah and Rachel and Jochebed and Deborah and Ruth and Elizabeth and Mary and I could go on and on many others. But in this message, I want us to look at one mother by the name of Hannah. And we're going to look at her in 1 Samuel. You know, again, we think things are rough today, but let me just, uh, let me just tell you how it was in Hannah's day. Um. It was the period of the judges. You know, in your Bible, there's Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges. Judges. Is that right? Is that the order it's in? Thank you. God bless you. I didn't know if I remembered that from Bible college or not. So, so Judges. Judges, the book of Judges, that time in Israel's history was a very difficult time, extremely difficult. It was a bad situation in Israel. You remember Samson in the Bible. Well, that's where you find Samson. You find him in the book of Judges, but when Samson died and he dies in that book, there's no great leader in the land. So Israel in the book of Judges was in a state of fluctuation. Israel was in a state of turmoil, in a state of confusion. Now listen carefully to what I'm about to say. There was a desperate need for a great godly leader to rise up 
in Israel. It was a time of tremendous chaos. It was a time of great sinfulness in that day. Let me tell you a little bit more about it. The Philistines, during the book of Judges, who were the arch enemies of the Israelites, were gaining ground on God's children. Listen to this one. The priesthood, the spiritual leaders, the people who were supposed to be leading the people toward God, the priesthood um, had become totally corrupted during the book of Judges. Uh, the priests and, and those who worked with them were vile and sinful men. Even in the temple itself, there were moral scandals so that the children of, of the high priest himself, and we know in the book of 1 Samuel, the high priest was Eli. He had two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, which uh, their name may have messed them up psychologically. I'm not sure. But uh, even in the temple itself, there were moral scandals so that the children of the high priest himself were carrying on sexual orgies at the foot of the temple steps. Now, the reason I say that to you so graphically is because I want you to understand how bad it was in Hannah's day. It was a wretched time. It's a time of gross evil. It was a time when not only was the leadership gone, not only was there nobody to step up and lead the nation of Israel, but the priesthood itself had abandoned its calling. The nation of Israel was weak. The nation of Israel was impotent. And on top of all of that, the nation had limited the prophetic voice. There were no great preachers. There were no bold preachers standing, proclaiming the word of God. It was a time of tremendous backsliding away from the divine standard. So God needed a special man. God needed a special man to rise up during this time. But in order for there to be a special man... There, first of all, has to be a special woman. There has to be a special woman. So let's look in 1 Samuel today, chapter 2, 1 Samuel 2, and uh, let's look at verses 1 and 2. You see that scripture up on the screen. I wanted to introduce you to Hannah and let you know a little bit about her, so let's look at these two verses because I believe they do a good job letting us know about her. The Bible says, and Hannah, everybody say it, and Hannah, not and Hannah, I mean the third word, and Hannah, pray, thank you, I'm sorry, I'll help, I'll, we'll work better, um, and Hannah, pray, so there's a praying mother, how many of you had a praying mother, you just want to give her a little testimony today, I've got a praying mother, I'd be in jail if my mother wasn't a praying mother, and uh, and Hannah prayed and said, now look, she's praying, and I want you to look at what she says in her prayer. She said, my focus, my heart, the center of my life rejoices in the Lord. So moms, if you want to know how to be a godly mother, start with that right there. First of all, become a praying mother. And make the Lord, the Lord of the Bible, the Lord of Abraham and Isaac and Moses, the Lord of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, make that Lord your Lord. And center your life around the Lord. She says, I know where my strength comes from. The Lord has made me strong. And she said, because I pray 
And because my heart is centered around God, and because I understand He has made me strong, then I have an answer for my enemies. Don't you like that? Amen. We need some mamas like that, don't we? Go to the next verse. Good. I rejoice because you, God, what? Rescued me. You rescued me. You rescued me from my sin. You rescued me from my humanity. You rescued me from the desires of my carnal flesh. You rescued me. No one is holy like the Lord. There is no one besides you. There is no rock like our God. Would you say Hannah's a pretty good mom? Pretty good mama there. She was a very special lady who knew God intimately. She had a divine perspective, and these two verses really open up our understanding of the kind of woman we're dealing with in this story today. Well, now I want you to back up to 1 Samuel chapter 1. I wanted to go to chapter 2 to kind of introduce you to her. And let's go back to chapter 1, and let's look at the characters that are in this story today. Y'all in for a good Bible story today? So we're going to look at the characters in this story today. Now, there's some lineage in those first two verses, you know, so-and-so was the father of so-and-so and the mother of so and all that. So I kind of took that out. You can look at that uh, on your own. It's very important, but it's not necessary for the message today. I just want to introduce you to these characters. There was a certain man, and his name was Elkanah, and he had two wives. We've already got a problem. Amen. We've already got a problem. Any, any ladies here have a problem with that? If their, man, their husband had two, amen. <laughs> be visiting some of y'all in jail there there was a there was a certain man and his name was Elkanah and he had two wives the name of the one was Hannah and the name of the other was Penina Penina and Pen, here's another problem and Penina was able to bear children so Penina had children but Hannah was barren so therefore she had no children. We've got problems. We've got problems already in the story. Elkanah had two wives. Penina had the children. Hannah didn't have any children. Elkanah, or Elkanah rather, uh, was a Levite. And that means that he was at least a member of a priestly family. And here, Hannah, the one with no children, yet uh, she will become a mother. She won't become a mother this week but she'll become a mother in the next sermon. <laughs> so make sure you come back for that. All you visitors, you're, you're just going to need to come back, okay, and get the rest of that message. But Hannah is the one we want to concentrate on. Now, in this sermon uh, that I'm going to give you uh, in this series called Parenthood, uh, the first sermon is going to be two parts, and it's how to be a godly mother. And there are three qualities that Hannah displays to us about what a godly mother looks like. Three qualities, and I'm going to share with you one of those qualities today, and we'll look at the other two in the next message. The first quality that made Hannah a godly mother was that she had a right relationship with her husband. You can say amen right there. She had a right relationship with her husband. Now, I want to say something that I always say, and you might be in a home where... You know, it's my kids and your kids and maybe even our kids. But the statement I'm about to make is just as important in that situation as it is in a home 
where the mother and father have always been together and the children are theirs and, and all of that. So, so here's a statement I want to make. The best thing you can do for the children is love their mother. The best thing you can do for the children is love their mother. The best thing you can do for your children is love their father. The best thing the wife can do for the children is love the dad. The best thing the dad can do for the children is love the mother. I cannot tell you how essential it is, and couples miss this all the time, that the greatest thing you can do for your children is let them see a healthy relationship between husband and wife. Let them see that. Um, show some affection in front of them. Then they're going to gag and they're going to act like that's the worst thing they've ever seen. Uh, but I'm telling you right now, um, it gives children security. When they see mom and dad loving on each other, holding each other, touching each other, expressing love to one another, it gives the children security. Y'all out there with me this morning? It gives them security. So, so make sure that those children understand. And you know what? Not only do those children need to see you loving each other, they need to see how you handle disagreements. They need to see how you handle it when you don't agree with each other. And they need to see love in that too. Amen? Because that's the world they're going to grow up in. And so they need to see how you handle your disagreements. Now, if you handle them the wrong way, then you're going to hurt that child. But if you handle your disagreements the right way, it's going to be a model for that child. And so uh, love your husband, love your wife. Uh, let me just say this before I move on, because I, I kind of pick up, I'm hitting a little nerve right here. So I'm going to be like a dentist and just stay there with the drill for just a few more seconds. Some of you think that the children come first. And I'm going to tell you something. That is going to cause you all kinds of marital problems, and it is going to cause you all kinds of parenting problems. You are one flesh in the Bible. You are described as one flesh, not with your children. The only relationship in the Bible that is described as one flesh is a marriage. And God says to you, work on, cultivate, develop a healthy marriage for the sake of your children. It is taught all through the Word of God. So how do we know Hannah had a right relationship with her husband? Well, I think there are two things that show us she had a right relationship with her husband. Number one, Hannah shared with her husband in worship. She shared with him in worship. Let's look at verse 3. 1 Samuel chapter 1, verse 3. Let's look at verse 3. Everybody with me out there, say amen. It says, each year, Elkanah would travel to Shiloh to what? Worship. Thank you. And to sacrifice to the Lord of heaven's armies at the tabernacle. Now, Jesus had not come yet. Jesus had not died on the cross yet. Jesus had not risen from the dead yet. So this is how sin was dealt with. Three times a year, they would come to the tabernacle and offer sacrifices for sin. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. 
And so uh, in the Old Testament, when we see these animals dying and shedding their blood, this is a picture of Jesus who would come and would shed his blood. And once Jesus came and died on the cross and shed his blood, then the offering of animal sacrifices was no longer necessary because on the cross, when Jesus was dying, he said, that is finished. That's finished. Because now the perfect Lamb of God has given his life and shed his blood. So in the Old Testament, they would come three times a year, and Elkanah would travel there to worship and to make sacrifices to the Lord of Heaven's armies at the tabernacle. The priest of the Lord at that time were the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas. Now I want you to notice that what this verse is telling us here is that Hannah had a believing husband. Hannah had a worshiping husband. Hannah had a God-loving husband. Elkanah worshiped God faithfully, and Hannah had a right relationship with her husband, and it is revealed in her willingness and her desire to join him to be a part of his worship. I believe this morning, this is a great place to say amen, by the way, I just thought I'd let you know. I believe God, godly fathers make for better mothers. Mm. Godly fathers make for better mothers. And Elkanah expressed his worship. And when he expressed it, Hannah was there. When he went to worship God, she went with him. In verse 7, it basically says, to put it in our culture, when Elkanah went to church, Hannah went to church. So I believe that these two had a common bond, first of all, of worship. You know, for a godly father or godly mother to experience the full expression of their roles of fatherhood and motherhood, I believe there has to be a shared spiritual strength between that father and that mother. Now, some of you here today, your spouse is an unbeliever, and, and you live in that world, and, and uh, nobody has to tell you it's difficult. It's difficult. And uh, it's difficult to bring up godly children when, when there's just one kind of pulling in that direction. And either the other one is pulling in the other direction or is not pulling at all in any direction. Uh, but I want you ladies to know who have an unbelieving husband and some men have unbelieving wives. We've had both situations. It seems to be more prominent that the woman would be a believer uh, many times and the man's not yet a believer. That God's going to help you ladies. There's some ladies here who know what I'm talking about, that God will step up and he will give you the strength you need. Now, that's not the ideal situation. The ideal situation is that that husband go to worship and that husband love God and that husband be a believer and that woman join him in that worship. Hannah followed her husband in worship. Now, now men, I want to tell you that... Um, it's going to make you feel a little bit better this morning to know that Elkanah was not a perfect man. He was not a perfect man. And the men said, Amen. Uh, he had faults. I mean, imagine that, an imperfect husband. It's hard to fathom, but just think about it. It's possible. 
uh, what was one of his problems? He had two wives. The ladies are sitting here thinking, that's pretty big. That's a pretty big imperfection. And some of you may, thought, may have thought, because it is in the Old Testament so much, uh, bigamy and polygamy, that, uh, that it was okay back in the Old Testament. But I want to say to you that uh, bigamy, polygamy was a sin back then, just like it is now. But in that culture, if a man married a woman, especially a woman who could not bear him children, then the culture of that day would put tremendous pressure on him to marry again, to uh, find someone who could bear him. And you talk about, uh, you talk about uh, the ladies being secondary in that culture. Uh, to bear him not just a child, but to bear him a what? A son, exactly. And so we see that Elkanah evidently married Hannah first, she couldn't have children, so the pressure came to bear on him. What other great patriarch of the Old Testament we, do we know whose wife couldn't bear children and the pressure came on him and he stepped outside the marriage and had a relationship and it's caused all kinds of problems even unto this day? His name would be Abraham, absolutely. I'll talk to him about that when I get to heaven. But anyway, so there's tremendous pressure in that culture. And uh, so since Hannah couldn't give birth, it looks like he went on to marry Penina, and Penina gave him children. So this is a serious imperfection in this man. And I could go on and preach on that and talk about that, and we could dig deep into that. But the application that I believe there, that is there for us, is that we don't excuse this sin. You never excuse sin. But I think what God would say to the women who are here today and to the men, what God would say to the wives here today and to the husbands, is that you're never going to find a perfect wife. You're never going to find a perfect husband. You're never going to find a perfect father. And you're never going to find a perfect mother. And if you make that your standard, you are in for a world of pain. Because there is no perfect wife, there is no perfect husband, there is no perfect father, there is no perfect mother other than our heavenly father is the only perfect father. And so God is saying here that you're going to find imperfection in your partner, but that should not preclude the fact that you can still worship the Lord together in your imperfections and I don't know how y'all feel about that but I'm very happy about that if I had to be perfect to worship God and to love God and to be used of God I would be out of luck and y'all look real holy this morning I see halos all over the congregation but you'd be out of luck too because God doesn't expect perfection from us he expects excellence from us he expects our best. And so, so here we see um, this lesson being taught not to expect perfection from your spouse, really, uh, or from anyone else for that matter. Um, so first of all, we see Hannah has a right relationship with her husband, and the reason she does is because they worship together. Now, let me give you the second reason I know that they have a right relationship, and that is because they share not only in worship, but they share in love, or as Barry White would say, love. Amen? 
because marriage is spiritual. Marriage is spiritual, but it isn't only spiritual. Marriage is also physical. And marriage is emotional. And marriage is psychological. So not only did Elkanah and Hannah, isn't that sweet, Elkanah and Hannah sitting on a tree? Elkanah and Hannah sitting on a tree? No, sitting in a tree. And uh, Elkanah and Hannah, and I bet they carved it in trees. Elkanah loves Hannah. Uh, I'm sorry, I just ran off right there. Uh, squirrel. Okay, not only, <laughs> not only, and if you have visitors with you today, just look at them and go, he's all right, he's all right, he'll be all right. Uh, not only did Elkanah and Hannah share their worship, but they shared tremendous affection and love. Now let's look at verses 4 and 5. 1 Samuel chapter 1, verse 4. When the day came, that Elkanah sacrificed, he would give portions to his wives and he would give portions to Penina, his wife, and to all her, is it up there? And to all her sons and her daughters. So he would, he would bless them at the time of, of worship. But to Hannah, he would give what? Oh, He gave Penina the legal restriction. He gave Hannah a double portion. And why did he give Hannah a double portion? Isn't that the sweetest thing right there? Come on, ladies. Everybody say it with me. Oh. Because I know y'all think about poor Penina. We'll get to her in a minute. She ain't all that nice, and we're going to find out in just a minute. So to Hannah, he would give a double portion for he loved Hannah, but the Lord had closed her womb. So her not being able to bear children was a sovereign act of God. A sovereign act of God. And there's a whole lot I could preach on right there, but this was the case. Apparently Elkanah felt obligated to Penina. I mean, she had provided him with children, and so he gave her what it was her right to have, and he gave to his children what it was their right to have. But I, it's important, and I just want to nail this, that he gave Hannah a double portion. Now that adjective that is in the Hebrew for Hannah, that double portion, that word is not there for Penina. It's only there for Hannah. So whatever the double portion meant, it was something more generous. It was something beyond the legal restriction which he met in the case of Penina. And he was generous toward Hannah because he loved her even though she could bear him no children. Now I'm going to tell you something. You put two wives for one man in the same house and you've got trouble, don't you? Now you put two wives for one man in the same house and one of them can bear children and the other one can't, you got more trouble. You put, you put two wives in the same house and one of them can bear children, one of them can't bear children, and he really loves one more than he loves the other, there's going to be trouble in that house. I know that's hard to prophesy, but I prophesy that there's going to be trouble up in that house. But that's what happened. And not only was there trouble, but Penina became Hannah's adversary. 
You see, the Bible tells us that Penina provoked Hannah because Hannah couldn't have children. The Bible t says that Penina provoked Hannah relentlessly in order to make her anxious, in order to irritate her, in order to make her fearful because the Lord had made her barren. Let's look at these verses. In verses uh, 6 and 7, again, we're in 1 Samuel chapter 1. In verses 6 and 7, it says, her rival, notice how the Bible calls, what the Bible calls Penina there. Her rival, however, would provoke her how? Bitterly. To what? Irritate her because the Lord had closed her womb. Now, she didn't just do this one day. She did it according to the next verse, verse 7. It happened how often? Year after year. As often as they went up to the house of the Lord. And I told you they went three times a year. And according to the scriptures, it says that when, when Elkanah was giving out gifts to these ladies, he gave Penina to her sons and her daughters. So evidently it was many years of this going on. Year after year, as often as they went up to the house of the Lord, Penina would provoke Hannah. And so Hannah wept. The Bible says there she would not eat. It probably was more like she could not eat. Now I want to tell you something about Hannah. Hannah took this and took this and took this. And Elkanah heard it. He heard what Penina was doing to Hannah. And um, he watched it, and the Bible doesn't say he said very much about it. You know what this tells me about Hannah? It tells me she was a lovely woman. It tells me she was a gracious, God-filled woman. I'll tell you what it tells me. It tells me she was a woman who was filled with the Spirit of God because when I see her going through this in the Bible and I see her reaction as simply weeping and not being able to eat, no retaliation, no words back to Penina, I see the fruits of the Holy Spirit in that woman's life. Hannah, what a gracious, amazing woman as she took this treatment and took this hurt. Now, this is going to be a strange question, strange question I'm about to ask y'all, but let me, do y'all know who Tim Hawkins is? Tim Hawkins, a Christian comedian. Have you heard his song, Things Not to Say to Your Wife? Have y'all heard that? Who's heard that song, Things Not to Say to Your Wife? Elkanah is about to say something that Tim needs to put in that song. This is going to sound so much like a man. So Elkanah comes up, the husband, the father, he comes up in verse 8 and looks at Hannah and goes, why are you crying, Hannah? Elkanah would ask. Why aren't you eating? Does this sound like a man, lady? Come on. I know he's right there beside you. Go ahead. Why be downhearted? This is so sensitive, isn't it? Just because you have no children. Look at the next thing he says. Oh, oh I expected there to be a murder in the next verse. You have me.
you have me. I mean, what did he expect Hannah to do right there? Oh, yes, I forgot. I'm not hurt anymore. I'm so happy now. He said, and then he didn't just stop there. Isn't having me better than having ten sons? No. Now, when I read that, and I read that Hannah didn't kill him, I knew she was an awesome woman of God. But he did love her. How do we know he loved her? Because the Bible said that he gave her a double portion because he loved her. The double portion was reserved for honored guests. The double portion was reserved for preferred guests. Now, ladies, I want to tell you something. Sometimes, sometimes he's going to say stuff that's so stupid. Now, I've learned I don't do that anymore. He's going to say stuff that's so insensitive and so uncaring. But let me tell you about us men. Sometimes we just can't help it. We say stuff and, and we're pressing the gas on words and we ain't got our brain in gear. But your man loves you. Let me tell you men something. If you will assure her that you love her then when you do something stupid like buy her a vacuum cleaner for Mother's Day she'll know what that means am I right ladies she'll know what that means you see how that mom reacted when he told her he was going to get that vacuum cleaner she was like and then she went she knew what that meant that's not what she wanted but she knew what he was thinking and he thought and, and sometimes men say stuff and we do stuff. So you have to tell your wife you love her. Now, I want to, I wanna, and I don't know who that man was, and I don't expect that man to ever come up to me and tell me who he was, but I just thought that, that note, that question that the man wrote last week when he asked us to help him be able to communicate to his wife, he said, I'm like a stone. He said, and I don't know what to say. He said, I can tell it's hurting my marriage. Listen to me, ladies. Cut your man a break. You, you ladies, you know, you, it pours out of you. you. You could so help him know what to say, and you find it easy. I mean, you're wired like that. Women are wired like that. We men, I mean, we're wired to give you vacuum cleaners. And then when you start to say something, we put our finger in. We, we don't get it sometimes. So ladies, cut your guy a break, and men, listen to me. You men out there, listen to me. Figure out a way to tell your wife how much you love her. Then when crisis comes, she will be able to rest assured that she may not know a lot of things, but she knows her man loves her. You say, well, I don't know what to say. Let me help you. Get you a stick'em note. A, what do they call that? My staff laughs at me all the time. I call them stick'em notes. What do they call Post-it notes. I'm old. <laughs> post-it note. And write on the post-it note 
Now, you men, get your pen out because you're going to forget this. You are precious to me. I heard, a, I heard 10 pins click right then. Some men, and I heard some women are writing this down for the men. Do you, do you know, dude, what's going to happen if you stick a note on your wife's mirror that says, you are precious to me? I don't know how to say it to you. I don't know how to, I don't know how to put it into words, and I find it hard to say it, but I just want you to know on this little post-it note that you are precious to me. You are valuable to me. I don't know what I'd do without you. Do not tell me you can't communicate your love to your wife. Don't tell me that. You know how I know? And I'm going to say something. This is strong. Because I see men who say they don't know how to communicate and then their marriage breaks up, but boy, they know how to communicate to the next one. They, they know how to communicate then. They didn't know how to communicate in that one, and they lost that marriage, but boy, they know how to talk in the next one. So you know what that tells me? You knew how to talk in that one. You knew how to communicate in that previous marriage. You just put, didn't put the effort in. I'm preaching up in here today. <laughs> amen, amen. That's a good word right there. I'm sure Millie's home recording it on something to play back to me, but... I'll tell you what this, this tells me, and I'll just close right here. <coughs> this tells me the reason that that marriage stayed together, the reason Hannah was able to weather the storm of Penina year after year after year, mocking her and ridiculing her because she couldn't have children, the reason she could remain graceful, the reason she could remain with her husband, loving her husband, not withdrawing from him. The reason she was the woman she was was because she worshipped with her husband and her husband assured her of his love for her. When you worship with your spouse and you express love to each other consistently, there is not a storm that can blow your marriage over. Not a storm. No storm. When your roots are down in God and your roots are down in the supernatural love He has given you to love each other, I tell you there is not enough devils in hell to destroy your marriage when you worship together and when you express love so that both of you are secure in the love for one another. The reason she could listen to Penina, you better be glad you're not up close because I'm spitting today. Listen. <laughs> That was a big one, wasn't it? <coughs> That's what happens when you're anointed. The reason she could listen to Penina pour all that bitterness on her is because she looked beyond how Penina felt about her and saw how her husband felt about her so she could handle it. The reason your wife may not be responding to you in the way you wish she would is because, sir, she may be totally insecure in how you feel about her. Tell her. Tell her. You say, dude, it's Mother's Day and I don't even have a card. 
because she's not my mother. Oh, you're going to get hurt so bad if you say that to her. I mean, she's going to. So forget about the card and just get a piece of paper and write down four or five sentences about how precious she is to you. You're going to have a good night if you do. And the lady said, Amen. Father, thank you for the Word of God. Thank you for the Bible. I'm so glad you put this story in the Bible. I'm so glad that you told us about Elkanah, and you told us about Penina, and you told us about Hannah. And Father, we're not even through. We, we've just kind of scratched the surface. There are two more things that are going to show us the reasons why Hannah was such an awesome mother. The qualities of a godly mother. We're going to see two more amazing facts about her that made her that godly mother. And it's going to teach us going to teach the men and the women. I don't know what the men thought today. They probably thought, well, it's Mother's Day, so I think I'm off the hook today, but it doesn't get us off the hook. We have responsibilities. So, Father, teach us men. Teach us to... Because, God, it seems like we don't need it so much, but our woman needs it. Her needs are different than ours. I heard about a man one time who said, wife said, you never tell me you love me. He said, I told you today I married you. If I change my mind, I'll let you know. That's not right. We need to let them know in some way, maybe not always in words, but words are so powerful, but in our actions too. Let them see, let our wives, our, the mother of our children, let them see how we value them. Let them see, let them hear how precious they are to us. Praying in Jesus' name. Everybody said.